Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you guys. Thanks so much for being here. And we are kicking off a brand new series entitled Investigating Jesus today. And uh, so wherever you are in your faith, whether you are asking questions, you're not sure about faith and Christianity, or maybe you're already a Christian, you're going along, but there's some hang-ups that you have, or maybe some people that you love, you really care about, and they're stuck somewhere. They're asking questions. You're not sure how to help them through that. That's what this series is all about. It's really helping others and, and us to be able to double down on how do we know what we know about Jesus, and why do we follow like, that is so important to, to be able to articulate that, isn't it? So when it comes to faith, we all have to start somewhere, and we typically start somewhere like this. When it comes to knowing, like, if there is a God and what God is like, what does it literally come down to? What does it actually come down to? Because we live in a day, so whoever you are, you have to ask this question if you're going to come to faith in God, you're going to have to answer that. And typically, we have one of two ways that are being given to us. If you uh, are just kind of in society today, you're going to probably hear one of those two versions. One version goes something like this. Listen, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. And if that is good enough for you, wonderful. That's awesome. But it's pretty blind and selfish to think that everybody is on board with that statement, okay? That is not how most people are going to be able to come, or they're going to have a real hard time swallowing that statement, that principle. And so the other way, the other option that people tend to hang up on is this statement. I must work through all of my questions and doubts and problems that I have with the Bible before I can move forward with God. Now, these are the two options that people kind of feel like they have in our world today. And looking at those two options, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of left saying, no wonder we have so many people who are doubting and dismissing faith and deconstructing faith in our world today because, wow, either one of those, that's pretty difficult. And it's a sticking point for a lot of people. I bet you know somebody who is stuck with this question, thinking, man, that is a lot of stuff. The Bible is a big book, and there's a lot of things that you could have a problem with, you could have a question about, you could have a doubt on, right? And for some of us, if we're really honest, we say, I don't know if I'll live long enough to be able to work all that out. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if I'll have enough time to be able to get all that worked out. And maybe this is you today. I'm describing a place where you're stuck. And you're, you're maybe checking this out today online or in person with a friend. And you're like, yeah, well, that kind of describes my faith journey. I, I've kind of gotten stuck. And I'm not sure how to answer some of these questions. And I'm so glad you're here. Because today I want to propose a better way, a third way. It is the path that the earliest Christians took, and it was a path that was so incredibly successful that it literally turned the world upside down. They began by investigating not a book, 
but rather they investigated a single individual, Jesus of Nazareth. And so today, if you are someone who's curious about faith, or somebody that you love or you care about is curious about faith, but they're not really, haven't fully gotten on board and accepted it yet, or maybe you're returning to faith, you feel like the prodigal son or daughter, you're like, I'm considering it, like I'm coming back, like I went when I was a kid and I've been away for a while, this is a lot of people's story, especially here at Brazos Fellowship, and they're coming back. You're coming back to faith, or you feel like, man, I've been kind of losing my faith. I've I've had so many questions and I've had other people raise questions I can't answer. Wherever you are in that that sort of, uh, you know, pendulum swing of faith, like wherever you are, that I want to give you a question that you could begin the journey back or maybe for the very first time. And the question is, it's not, let me start with what it's not. It's not, do I believe all of the Bible? I don't believe that that's necessary to be able to start the journey. You don't have to work all those problems, doubts, and and issues out first, but rather, and it's the question, here's the question I'm going to give you, it's the question that very few people who are doubting and dismissing faith and deconstructing faith are asking, and here it is, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or, not Anne, or John, a reliable account of actual events. Now, here's why I say this. Let me just first say, I believe all four are historically accurate accounts, but you might not be there, okay? And, and I, I would challenge you to take a close look and say, if even just one of the four is true, then, ladies and gentlemen, game on. Faith is possible. God, the God of the universe, can be known. And Jesus was way more than just a man. He was the son of the living God. If even just one is true, right? And being able to come to this place of saying, you know, uh, I believe it's not easy. It's not easy. And we've got to be willing to say, you know, God, what does that next step look like for me? And for us to be able to lean into faith and be able to trust God, it's going to come down to saying, yes, this is accurate information about Jesus. And before I can, you know, really you can understand or accept this proposal that I'm giving to you, I think you really need to understand a timeline, a critical timeline of Christianity. So let's take a look at a timeline together, okay? Um. First of all, you need to understand that Christianity began, if we look at the epicenter of when the Christian movement began, it began as a historical event, a well-documented, by the way, historical event, the event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus' tomb was and is empty. He is no longer there. He resurrected from the dead. And immediately after the resurrection of Jesus was the movement of the first century church. That it began to proliferate. Some historians would would describe it this way. There was an explosion of growth of the number of people who converted and turned to faith in Jesus Christ. And during that time, there were many, many believers that were beginning to document what they witnessed, what they experienced. Men like Matthew, Mark, Luke, 
John, the first four books of the New Testament named for the men who wrote them, and also the book of Acts that was written by Luke as well, was these remarkable events, and they were all, and they weren't the only ones that, that documented it, but they were documented eyewitness testimonies all over the place that were being shared and life change was happening because of these documents. Then, three, over 300 years later in the fourth century, then all of those documents were brought together meticulously searched through for which ones had the veracity of truthfulness and corroborated with the evidence at present and be able to find the best and most valuable ones. And they were all brought together with the Hebrew scriptures, which we would call the Old Testament. And it was bound together and assembled into the first Bible. Okay. This is important to know how we got this book, right? This is how it happened. So here's why this timeline is so important for you to understand. The story of Jesus is not simply a Bible story, although it 100% is in the Bible, all right? The story of Jesus is why there is a Bible, all right? This is so important, so foundational to our faith to understand this. Because if there was no resurrection of Jesus, there would be no rise of the early church. If there's no rise of the early church, there is no documents that were written. There was no assembly of the Bible. And this is why it is so important that we slow down before we're overly critical of the Bible and say, let's just start with the accounts of Jesus' life, the first four books of the New Testament, these gospel accounts. If just one of the four is true, it changes everything. And it means you can know God. Jesus is who he says he is. So this is what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to slow down and we're going to look at just one of the four Gospels, the Gospel of Luke. Now Luke was named for its author. Luke was a follower of Jesus, a disciple, but he was not listed among the 12 disciples. When you look in the New Testament at the list, he's not in the list. He was a Greek, not a Jew. And he was writing from that point of view. He's, he's writing as one sort of outside of the in-group, if you will, but came to faith in Jesus anyway. But he knew many of the 12 disciples. As a matter of fact, later in the book of Acts, which he also, also authored, he tells us he knows James, the half-brother of Jesus. He knows uh, Peter. He knows John. Many of these men that he had personal relationships with and interacted with to a great extent. He also was a medical doctor and was very meticulous in the way that he recorded these events of the life of Jesus. And it's really powerful. So here's what I'd like us to do. I want us to now turn our attention to how Luke begins his account of the life, work, and words of Jesus. Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Let's take a look at this together. Let's read the first word together. Ready? One, two, three. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So I want to first draw your attention to the very first word that he picks. Now, if any of you in here are writers, you know the first line of the first chapter of a book you're trying to write, you might rewrite that first 
paragraph, first sentence like a hundred times, right? That one's really important. I really believe Luke picked these specific words on, on purpose. He's letting us know many, I'm not the only one, many. This is telling you something about the story. It has a, had a huge, dramatic impact, life-changing, eternity-shifting impact on many, many people. Now, just to put it in perspective, you know how many people are going to undertake to draw up an account of your life and mine? Here's the answer. Not many, okay? (laughs) After our grandkids pass away from this earth, you know how many people are even going to remember? This is kind of morbid. Remember that you were here on this earth? The answer is not many. Me either, right? Don't let that get you down. Like, we're not living for this, this place, right? That's okay. But he's helping us to see that was not the case with Jesus. There were many, 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 many people. Now, it's important to note at this time in history that in the first century that not many accounts were written even about famous and powerful people. People like Tiberius Caesar and Herod the Great and even Pilate. Like, almost no one wrote about these men. And, but yet, many drew up an account of Jesus' life. And this is why historians have scratched their head and had to stop and ask a really difficult question. And you and I ought to ask it too. And here it is. Why would Luke take the time to record about a Galilean carpenter turned rabbi, executed by Rome and rejected by his own people? In other words, why is this a story worth telling? Why is he taking the time? This probably took him years in like countless thousands of hours, as we're going to see, to be able to gather these stories. He had to go and find the people, interview them, write it all down, corroborate it with all the evidence and all the other stories, and, and find the greatest veracity of the story that he could record that like that is this is the most accurate information I could give, right? This is so powerful. And why aren't more, why were so many people telling this exact same story that Luke was telling? And here's the answer. Because something extraordinary had happened. And not just extraordinary, but extraordinarily good had happened. Uh, Something so good that had implications for every future generation, for every person who would ever live, all people for all times. Luke makes this really clear. This is information that's not just good for people in the first century. It's for every person who will ever, ever, ever live. So powerful. So let's go back to verse one. We'll take a look at another part of it. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among, let's say it together, among us. Not them, but us. In other words, Luke is saying this has happened in his lifetime, among the people that he knew, among his community of people. He's letting us know that this is something that's so rare. Because as we look back through um, recorded history, especially ancient history of humankind, that most of what we look back at and say that is true, accurate, historical record of what happened in that time, most of it was written generations after the events took place. 
And this is, this is what makes the accounts of the gospel so interesting and so rare. They literally were recording things that had taken place in their lifetime. That they were able to go and interview people. It's as though Luke is saying, I dare you to come investigate the people. They're still walking around. They're still here. This stuff is fresh. And, and you could go and check out the tomb. You can go and this is all, this evidence is still available, he's telling us. In verse two, he goes on and says, just as they were handed down to us by, uh, by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. He's, he's telling us what I've recorded, I've recorded from those who were there. In other words, as I said earlier, I know James and John and Peter and so many of these people that were present. And I sat down and I wrote down and I made sure that what I had was accurate. And it's so powerful. Verse three, he goes on to say, with this in mind, with what I just told you, right? With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, and he's not lying, because he's only one of two accounts that we have of the birth of Jesus, right? Like, we have Matthew and we have Luke. The whole Christmas story that we know about the birth of Jesus came from Matthew and it came from Luke, right? And not only did he cover from the beginning Jesus, but he covered from the beginning uh, John the Baptist, who was the forerunner for Jesus, who proclaimed and announced the, the Messiah is coming. He's the only one that recorded the birth of John the Baptist. He's like, I want you to see all of this historical context. I want you to see the big picture of what God was doing at this time. This is really important to me. And so, this is really powerful. So, as we, he goes on to say, so carefully investigate everything from the beginning. I too decided to write an orderly account for you. So I'm not the only one, but I am one of the ones. I'm saying I'm trying to give you the most orderly account I possibly can and went and got the most accurate information I could. And here's why this is such a big deal, especially if you're a person here that's hearing this today and you've been struggling with faith. You've been wondering, how can I move forward with faith? Or somebody that you love, you care about, really is struggling with, how can I move forward with faith? I just don't see a way forward. This is so important about Luke. Luke was not thinking he was writing the Bible. In other words, Luke wasn't thinking, I'm writing religious material that someday would be, would be found in the Bible. Luke had no idea there would be this thing that someday is called the Bible. He had no idea that that was going to happen. He was simply trying to write to strengthen the faith of his readers. That's all he was trying to do. He's trying to, it's so important that you know the truth about Jesus, what actually took place. What did he really do? Even the parts that are hard to tell, even the parts that might be hard for us to understand. He's like, I pulled no punch. Like, and I believe all four of the gospel writers did this. This is so important. But what did he mean by this? Here's what he meant. We don't believe the gospel of Luke simply because it's in the Bible, right? As I showed you the timeline a little earlier. Here's why that is important to understand. Luke's account of the life of Jesus Luke's account of the life of Jesus was written 300 years before the Bible was assembled. 
So, and this is really important to understand, Luke's account of the life of Jesus was included in the Bible because it was considered reliable at the time that it was written. It wasn't included in the Bible. It wasn't like, okay, now that Luke's account is in the Bible, we consider it reliable. Okay, now we should really believe it. No, it was trusted. It was seen as indescribably valuable from the time that it was written. It was meticulously copied, distributed all over Europe and the world. And people who read it were touched by God, changed by him, placed faith in Jesus. It's powerful. Think about it like this. Have you ever used a safe? Anybody here, maybe you have a safe at your home. I know I grew up with a big safe my dad had. He put all of his deer, you know, guns and deer rifles in there and important documents, kept that. Maybe and you've been in a hotel before where it had a little safe in the, in the uh, room and you put your, you know, your cell phone, your wallet, your money, any important things, you put it in the safe. Now, let me ask you this about the safe. Do you put things in a safe to make them valuable? Is it, was it the act of putting them in the safe that made them valuable? No, right? You put things in a safe because they're already valuable to you, right? So think about, you know, the, the gospel of Luke and all the gospels like this. Luke was placed in the Bible not to make it true or reliable, but because it already was. It was already precious. It was already proven. It was already corroborated with the evidence it was already seen to have veracity, that it could stand on its own. It was true, and people had checked it out, investigated it thoroughly. He invites you to do that, and that's what his early, uh, early readers did. And this is how we need to approach it as well. Now, back to Luke, verse 3. He says, I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, who is Theophilus? Many people believe that Theophilus was maybe a wealthy believer uh, that, that, that had heard about Jesus, placed faith in him, but wanted the whole story. Like, could somebody put it all together for me? And maybe said, told Luke, listen, I know this is going to take years, this is going to take a lot of time, but would you go and do that? So it helped strengthen my faith and everybody else's. That's one theory. Another theory is the, the name Theophilus literally means one who loves God that maybe Luke was just writing to the church. He was writing to all those who loved God, that he was trying to, he was trying to accomplish something through writing this letter. And here's what he tells us he's trying to accomplish. He says, I've written this orderly account so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. I've recorded these things. I've gone to great lengths, given you all this historical context so that you would be certain and this word certain, the certainty literally means security in your knowledge of faith in Jesus Christ. That you would be assured of that, secure in that. This is so important that Luke was trying to help us to see. He, he's, he's trying to keep his first century believers from coming, from feeling like they've been left with the assumption that Christianity is just faith in faith. Or leave you with the, uh, the assumption that Christianity is just faith in faith. No, he's trying to help you to see. No, our faith is anchored in an event. 
and ultimately to a person, Jesus Christ. And if you take Jesus Christ away, you don't have a Bible. You don't have a faith. You don't have a Christianity. There is no Christianity without a Christ. And there is no Christianity without a risen Christ from the dead. It's so powerful because, and we see this as it unfolds down through history. Luke, again, he had no idea that someday his account of the life of Jesus would be meticulously copied, distributed all over the world, and it would change people's lives by the thousands, the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and ultimately millions. You think I'm exaggerating. Historians believe now that by the the uh, mid-fourth century, by the time even before the Bible was assembled, that the Roman Empire at that time that was 60 million people strong in terms of their citizens, over 33 million of them were professing Christians. And this was at a time you could not be a nominal Christian, like in name only. It cost you something to follow Jesus. Under the emperor Diocletian, he was, he was persecuting them. He was killing them. He was doing everything he could to stamp out and destroy Christianity, but it spread like wildfire. More and more and more people came to faith in Jesus Christ. And even today, this is one of the greatest enigmas for historians, sociologists, when they look back at the history of humanity to say, how do you explain the huge rise and movement of Christianity without a resurrection. You just can't get there. People aren't willing to die for stuff that's a lie. They only are willing to die for truth, for something that they feel like is more important than even their own life and even this life, and that there is a life eternal. And it was interesting that after Diocletian, once Constantine got in power, the next emperor he legalized the practice of Christianity. And I loved what one historian said. He said that, that uh, Constantine didn't assure the success of Christianity by legalizing it. He just simply recognized the success of Christianity. Isn't that great? Like, we're not going to be able to stop this thing. This movement is going to happen with or without us. We're going to either keep fighting it or we're going to get on board with it. And that's what they did. And it was under Constantine that he says, we're going to now be a Christian nation. And Rome financed the first Bible. Now think about that for just a second. The very empire, the, the, the most dominant world power that hung Jesus' body on the cross and then he resurrected later, 300 years later, winds up financing the first Bible. Has the greatest thinkers, scholars in the world to say, let's make sure we have it accurate, we have it right, we get the, the, the best documents that we can together, put it together with the, with the Hebrew scriptures, bound it together. Isn't that incredible? But that's what God did. That's, that shows us the power of this record. And that even today, that if you're willing to say even just one of the four of these gospels is true, it changes everything. It now gives us a place to step on board with faith and say this is a place to get on. It's a way to, to begin to trust. If even just one is true, then we should lean into faith. If just one is true, 
that Jesus was and is who he said he was. He is the Son of God. He died to offer us forgiveness from our sins and eternal life. And he rose from the dead and through that offers us this gift of eternal life. And you can know him today. What a gift. What a gift to wherever you are on the faith spectrum. I just want to encourage you to take a step towards him today. Would you be willing to trust him with that next step? Just to say, hey, there may be something in God's word, and especially in the gospels, that I've, you've been hesitant to believe, to trust, to rely on, put your confidence in. But I want to encourage you, if you will put your confidence, your faith in it, you will find it to be true, valid, reliable, precious, worthy of everything and anything you can give it. Here's the prayer I'm asking you to pray with me today. It's simply saying, Jesus, help me to move forward in faith with you, knowing that you will help me with everything else later. We'll get to all that other stuff, but today, right now, you can take a step towards Jesus, just like the first century Christians did. Trust him. Place your faith in him knowing that he will help you with all those other questions, doubts, problems, issues that you have in time. If you would right now, I just want to ask you, that those of you who are believers today, that you would be willing to say, God, I'm going to take that next step with you. I'm going to trust you in a way that I have been unwilling to trust you. And, and maybe even ask him, God, what is that next thing you want me to do? Where have I been pumping the brakes where I need to be pushing the accelerator? Where, where do I need to say, God, yes, yes, I will follow you. And maybe for you, faith itself has been a pumping of the brakes. And maybe today it's like, I see a path forward now. I can, I can move towards, make a beeline for Jesus. And that's a way on. It's an on-ramp. It's a way to get on. It is the first rungs of the ladder, how to get started for you, maybe you thought, well, the first rung is so high, I can't even, I can't get there. But when we start to ask the question, what is God like? Can we know God? Jesus says, yes, you can. And he, you can know him through me. And if you would, right now, let's go before the Father and let's ask for him to help us to take that next step together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you so much today that you have given us these beautiful gospels and as we take a look at Luke's gospel today, we're reminded of how meticulously, carefully it was recorded. That it was a piece of accurate history so that we might be able to know without a doubt, Jesus, that not only you came to earth, you lived what you said, what you did, you died for us. You resurrected from the dead so that we might be able to put faith in you for the forgiveness of sins and receive your eternal life and that we can follow you with whatever that next step is. Right now, all across this room, whatever that next step is, would you just be willing right now just to say, God, I will follow you. God, I will trust you. I put my faith in you. 
And if you're putting your faith in God right now for that next step for your life, I would love to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand as an act of saying, God, I'm giving my faith to the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm an act of obedience. Thank you. Hands all over the room and the balcony and the floor. God, thank you so much for every person. I pray, God, that you would just help us as we take that next step with you to trust you, to trust your word, to trust your love, to trust that what you have shown us and revealed to us through the Bible, we can build a life on. It is worth everything. You may lower your hands. And for those that are here today that have said, I have been the one that has doubted. I have questioned. I have been the one that's been pumping the brakes and backing away from faith. But now I see I can step towards Jesus. And I want to know him. I want to begin a relationship with him. If that is you, would you just pray right where you sit and just say, Jesus, I'm inviting you into my life right now. I'm asking you to forgive my sin. Please forgive my sin. I'm trusting that when you died on the cross, resurrected from the dead, that was for my eternal salvation to be paid for. And I receive it right now. I receive it right now. Would you just receive it from him? It is a free gift, a gift of grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for letting me be your child, your son, your daughter. If you just ask Christ to come into your life and forgive your sin, would you just lift your hand right now? I'd love to pray for you. Anybody here? God bless you, sweetheart, right here. I see you right back there, ma'am. Anybody else? God bless you right here, over here. Anybody else in the balcony? God bless you right there, sir. I see you. God bless you. Anybody else? Praise God for the lives that are changing today. Lord, we praise you for this. It is only your spirit through your word that can reveal this great good news, this gospel to us. And we thank you that it's happening today again, just like it happened in the first century. And I pray that you would help these decisions being made for you, that they would turn into a life of fellowship and discipleship. God, it would turn into a life that is a light wherever they go, that they would shine bright so that others may see their good works and praise their Father in heaven. We praise you, God for being our loving Father. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.